Cheers. And hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, it's the fourth Wednesday of the month, which means it's time for Harvesting Health with Dr. Lori Marvis. And today she's going to be talking about interventions to improve osteoporosis. Please welcome her to the show. Hello, Dr. Marvis. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Always. Yeah, you, if people don't know, because maybe they don't, that you're a regular feature now. Welcome to the Chef AJ Broadcasting Network, fourth Wednesday of the month at 9 a.m. Each month, you'll cop cover different topics related to health and wellness. Last month was high blood pressure and this month is osteoporosis. And we already have so many questions sent in because apparently a lot of people have it or worry about having it. Sure. And I think it's a topic that we haven't done a very good job and at least in the plant-based space of actually discussing. And so I thought I would just throw this out there. I'm doing a special workshop as part of the healing kitchen. It's over on the side <laughs> with Brittany Giruti next week. And you know, it's it's just an important topic that we need to talk about as early as possible, um, because the earlier we intervene, and I'm talking children, young women, young men, uh, the better off we are going to be as we age gracefully. So, yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Let yeah. me. Um, oh, do you want? Oh yeah, got sorry, got it. Enable screen share. Oops. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, let me grab my PowerPoint. Here we go. Share Hello. screen. I love PowerPoints because when I see, I listen. It's funny. I listen better when I see. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can. I would say I'm the same way. We're visual. Well, it's just another visual, and you're using auditory learning. Um, having had a child that had dyslexia, I, I totally appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can probably see all of my screen. I'm not quite sure how to make it the slideshow fancy. So, well, maybe if I do this, hold um, on. Maybe start maybe. from the beginning. Maybe, maybe that'll work. There we go. Right. Perfect. <laughs> Anyway, I chose this because it's such a pretty <laughs> cover. But anyway, let's dive right in. Oh, and now it's not, what's going on here? Not advancing. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let, oh, oh, I did the fancy thing. Never mind. You know, where it just scrolls in, you can't see the whole thing at once. So first things, um, you know, it's really interesting when you look at the research and the discussion around calcium supplements have not been found to be beneficial. Actually, they can actually be extremely harmful. And so they typically do not recommend calcium supplementation. So this is where I speak to patients regarding their calcium intake and diet. And again, there's also varying degrees of recommendations on how much you should be consuming in a day, even with your diet. So, you know, like in the United States, there's, they'll say a thousand, 12, a thousand to 1200 milligrams per day, uh, overseas at me upwards of, you know, around 600. So I think as long as you're hitting somewhere in there, you're probably okay. I would say probably in closer to around 900, um, minimally. Uh, but you know, if you want to just take it for the context of, for the United States, we really would try to get a thousand to 1200 milligrams of calcium in your diet per day. So the foods that I really like, of course, those dark green leafy vegetables, which are good for, I think, every conceivable thing you could possibly imagine. Uh, anything that's a soy product, uh, soy has some really cool phytoestrogens that hit certain types of um, estrogen receptors called beta receptors, um, especially in the bone um, that can help you build bone density. They're also a good source of protein. So anything soy, soy curls, tempeh, edamame, the whole soybean, you name it. It's also good for uh, postmenopausal symptoms like hot flashes and different things. Those vasomotor 
symptoms that so many women are are dip, having difficulty with. So anyway, there's my my soy promotion, uh, almonds, and then other calcium fortified products. <clears throat> so again, that's where I would suggest. And the way you could do this, one way I work with my patients is to download Chronometer. It's an app that you can download on your phone and you can actually put in your foods for about a week or so. And I mean everything, everything that crosses your lips from um, drinks, uh, beverages to foods, smoothies, it doesn't matter. Weigh it out, put it in and just see what you're doing on average. And not only for calcium, but across the range of different really important minerals um, and vitamins, it'd be a really good way just to kind of keep track and maybe do that once a quarter, maybe twice a year, just to make sure you're kind of staying where you need to be. Oops. Hold on. There we go. And then also to your vitamin D levels. Now, vitamin D is really important for calcium absorption. So um, many of us in the United States are deficient, and this is where it can be a real issue. Um, Where they did find that calcium supplementation was helpful was when people who were in nursing homes were already vitamin D deficient. So when they, they coupled vitamin D with calcium supplementation, they did have bone mineral density improvement. But when they took this and put it into regular people, they actually found that calcium supplementation actually increased risk for heart attack and stroke. And what they think is that you're absorbing so much calcium at once that when you get this big load of calcium absorbed into the gut, it actually makes your blood hypercoagulable. So meaning increased risk for clots. So there's that. Um, But vitamin D, you know, sun exposure, if you can get 10 to 15 minutes in like 10 to 2 p.m., without, you know, any type of coverage over most of your body, that would be ideal. But of course, many of us don't live in a place that we can do that, or we have concerns about skin cancers, rightly so. So the RDI, where they recommend how much you should take in um, is 600 to 800 IU. But what I have found that patients, most of them need around 2000 IUs daily. Um, And that is what I use uh, personally. So I would check, you know, test don't guess as my friend, Dr. Conway says, and you want to keep those uh, numbers between 30 and 100 because too much vitamin D can also be uh, toxic because it's a fat-soluble vitamin. So again, there's there's a sweet spot. It's kind of like, you know, um, you don't want the porridge too hot or too cold, but just right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right. And then regular weight-bearing exercise. So these are things that you're actually moving your body and having some kind of dynamic force. Um, so for example, I like to go rucking and rucking is, um, if you're in the military, past military, cause as I am, you're used to carrying around, uh, you could carry around this heavy, what they call a ruck or a backpack. You could do this with a backpack, but I have a weighted vest. It's 11 to 20 pounds, depending on the day. And I will, instead of just my regular walking, I will actually take that with me. Um, I get some funny looks, but it works really well. But, you know, jogging is another one. I just finished a half marathon with my daughter in Boston this last weekend. When you're training for those type of things, especially when you're running up hills and doing things, that's also really helpful. Climbing stairs, dancing, um, things that are less likely to to be helpful are like bike riding or swimming. Even those are very good cardiovascular exercises. They're not going to cause the stress on the bones so that it responds with building more uh, denser bones. So just something there to keep mind of. And then of course we get to strength training. I love people who do strength training. It's such an important piece 
Um, it's important for maintaining a healthy weight, but it's also important for making sure that we're decreasing our risk for falling as we get older. So even if you look at the number of people who have osteoporosis, osteoporosis in and of itself is obviously a risk factor for fracture, but really it's falling. When you fall with osteoporosis, that's the key here. So if we can decrease our risk of falls by incorporating strength training, having stronger lower body uh, strength, uh, coordination, balance, those type of things are such an important thing. But what you wanna be looking to do is try to do two to three times a week and then do weights, but where you're really kind of, not just like doing 20, in a row where it's really easy, but we want you to kind of be pushing the limits a little bit. So if you can do eight to 10 reps for three sets, that would be the type of thing. And then each week or month, try to increase the weight that you're actually utilizing. Now you can also do this with like calcinics and body weight. So for example, um, I had a patient who was so much fun. She, we started out with just her doing pushups on the counter and she would maybe do two or three. And a few months later, she's like, Dr. Marvis, you haven't asked me about my pushups. I was like, tell me, she goes, I can do 60. So here she was every morning doing 60. I was like, I think you need to probably maybe make it a little harder and let's get down on the ground and actually start doing some pushups. Maybe you need to do it on your knees or you can do it on your stairs, but these little bits actually add up. And before you know it, you feel like a superhuman. So any type of strength training that you enjoy and you can do regularly would be fantastic. So, so, so important. I can't even tell you the, the benefits of strength training. <laughs> okay. And then of course we want to speak to maintaining a healthy weight. Um, there's risk of being underweight. When you look at the research um, with vegans and you hear that, oh, vegans have a higher risk of osteoporosis than non-vegans, it's many times related that they are lighter weight um, and maybe they're not consuming uh, their vitamin D, make sure their vitamin D is up to task. But, you know, vegans tend to be lighter, which is always a good thing um, in the sense of decreased risk for other things like diabetes and obesity related chronic disease. But when you think about overweight conditions, um, those who are morbidly obese or overweight tend to have less risk of osteoporosis, but they obviously have higher risk for other things um, that cause inflammation that can increase risk for osteoporosis. But when you're carrying around extra weight throughout every single day, 50, 20, 100 pounds, it makes sense that their bones would be somewhat more dense. But you want to try to aim to keep a healthy weight. And when I say that, I typically around a BMI when you look at BMI, it's not the best, but it is what we have available that's easy to, to monitor um, over a period of time is around 22 or less is where I actually see patients improve their hypertension, their diabetes, their cholesterol. For those who are struggling, if your BMI is still, let's say like 23 to 25, and you're just still can't quite get that cholesterol down or hypertension still hovering, I mean, it doesn't mean that 100% of the time, if you get below BMI of 22, that you'll see benefit, but many times I'll see some improvement. There's just a little side note there. <laughs> okay. Um, definitely limit alcohol and avoid smoking. I'm a fan of no alcohol. Alcohol has no benefit whatsoever. Um, there was Amen. Some... <laughs> yes, exactly. I have never been an alcohol consumer, so... Um, I think, uh, I, I struggle with understanding that, but it increases hypertension. It actually accelerates osteoporosis. 
And smoking, of course, accelerates anything and everything unhealthy. So if you can quit smoking, and I would say even quit all alcohol consumption, but if you can limit it minimally, limit it to less than two drinks per day uh, for men and one drink per day for women, which seems like a lot, even still thinking about it. But remember, um, alcohol also increases risk for cancers. It's a toxin to the body. There's, there's really no benefit to it. Um, you know, and also you want to check medication side effects. So for example, long-term corticosteroids or, you know, things like prednisone, people who have been dealing with autoimmune conditions and had to require, or MS, lupus, required high doses of uh, certain types of glucose um, or corticosteroids um, may have actually increased their risk or accelerated osteoporosis. Um, another thing is chemotherapy can also accelerate uh, osteoporosis had it, uh, someone mentioned that earlier, um, I believe it was yesterday in my Facebook group. So really just when you look at the research, that's a really tough thing. Sometimes we need these medications that can be life-saving, but just want to be mindful. The, another one is thyroid medications. So if you're, um, hyperthyroid, if your thyroid is too much, um, that can actually also decrease your bone mineral density. So being just mindful of side effects of medications, uh, certain things like uh, proton pump inhibitors or these um, GERD medications for heartburn, different things that we buy over the counter can also uh, cause some trouble. So just be mindful of what you're taking on a regular basis and just might want to look up uh, side effects. Ooh, that's a fancy one. Um, discussion around balancing hormones. So this is another Really interesting topic, I think, that hasn't been discussed as much as I think we should is women's health and is around this postmenopausal state. And some women are really suffering um, when we talk about depression, anxiety, hot sweats, disruption of sleep, joint discomfort. You'll see weight gain. You'll see um, changes in their lipid panels. Lots of things occurring during this phase when we're going from premenopausal to this perimenopausal in you know, the first five to 10 years being postmenopausal, you'll see increased risk of heart attack um, and different things like that. So these decreased estrogen levels can also lead to bone loss. Now, hormone therapy might be an option, but there are other ways you can combat this, like I mentioned earlier, some of the other steps. But it's important to discuss um, with, you know, a healthcare provider who's well-versed in taking care of postmenopausal women and looking at your risk, because of course there's certain risk factors, especially if you're past age 60 or more than 10 years past menopause onset, um, hormone therapy is less likely to be um, advantageous for you. So anyway, just something to consider. I just wanted to throw that out there because it, it can benefit some people and we shouldn't uh, negate the, the positive effects sometimes for the folks. I mean, I've, I've seen people, it literally will change their life. Like they go from not wanting to get out of bed to turning, returning back to the people that they were when we, we discuss at lowest, lowest dose possible of estrogen or progesterone, depending on if you have a uterus or not. So, um, fall prevention strategies. Again, this, I think this is something really important. I had a fall last October on my birthday, no less, um, down our stairs. And, you know, like I didn't break anything, but it hurt. But, you know, just thinking, you know, I'm a relatively healthy middle-aged person. And, um, but that same fall could have been very detrimental to some folks. So just being mindful, especially if you live with elders, uh, if you take care of your elderly parents, you know, looking for trip hazards, loose rugs, different things, 
Um, I had someone comment on my YouTube yesterday, like I'm 79, but it, don't, don't, don't make a, your home safe from tripping because then you're not paying attention. I'm like, well, I don't think that's good advice considering that most people don't pay attention. We live in a very mindless way of living. We're looking at our phones when we're walking, we're eating, we're talking. So if we can decrease the risk, I think that's the best way to look at that. So, but anyway, just thinking about what we can do to improve uh, the, or decrease the risk of tripping or falling would be ideal. And again, it comes back to exercise. <laughs> exercise movement is so very important. This alone will help lower your risk of falling significantly. And then, of course, I'm going to talk to you about eating a whole food plant-based diet. This is so ideal for so many things outside of even your bone health. But, um, you know, a well-executed, well-planned whole food plant-based diet, fruits, veggies, beans, whole grains, nuts and seeds, limited quantity can be so helpful in so many ways. Um, decreasing chronic disease, decreasing inflammation, all of which are the root cause of so many issues. So anyway, based on, you know, your personal history and different things, you may have to attack it a different way, but that would be my, my top 10 uh, recommendations. And uh, of course, there's many other things that we could do, but those, those are the ones that we can probably start doing if today, if not very soon. You're doing a workshop, aren't you? I am. So I'm doing a workshop um, and it's all about osteoporosis. I'm literally, my, my, I do an ebook and a workshop each month as part of the Healing Kitchen. So if you're a member, you get free access to it. Um, and we also do an expert workshop. So we had Dr. Clapper join us last weekend, which was awesome. But my workshop is on osteoporosis. So you'll get an ebook and I'm diving deep. I can't even, I literally have textbooks and research papers. It's like overwhelming all about what is osteoporosis? What should we be doing nutritionally lifestyle? What are the medications? What are indications? What are the side effects? How do you discuss this? What, how do you figure out what's best for you? How do you figure out what your um, risk factors are? Because there's some things I think some um, docs, they just like, Oh, you have osteopenia. Oh, we have osteoporosis. Here's the medication. We don't sit down and actually say, okay, here are the actual risk and benefits and discuss with the patient what they could actually do. Um, there's also some blood work and some different things you could do. It's more for research, but you can see it um, in like Quest and LabCorp just to see if maybe a particular in, um, intervention might be helpful for you. So, and lots of different things, but that's next Thursday, um, November 30th at 4 p.m. Pacific. If you go to drmarbus.com and just click onto workshop, you'll see... Um, what's there available. And like last month I did one all about plant-based labs, 33 page ebook with the video. You can also see that if you didn't weren't part of the healing kitchen, um, you, that you have access to that as well. Nice. And it is in the show notes, but I'll also put it in the chat if people want to register. And if they can't make okay. it live, is there a yep. recording? Is there a yep. There's a recording that will be sent along with the ebook as well. That sounds great. Um, we have a bunch of questions on topic that have been sent in, but I think I saw one from Jane in the chat, which was, do you at some point reach the place where you cannot continue to increase weight? And then what do you do? Uh, increase weight with weight training or increase yeah, Jane, weight? Yeah, I don't know what she means because we've talked about um, um, yeah, different Jane, things. Did you I'm assuming, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I'm assuming- 
resistance training. Yeah. So that's where you might want to change the exercise, right? So if you're, I'm going to assume it's resistance training. Um, When you're doing the resistance training and you've gotten to the weight that you're like, wow, okay. You can either increase your number of sets um, or you can do drop sets. So let's say that you do um, three sets at 20 pounds of a bicep curl and you're like tapped out at you know, let's say 12, right? And you feel like, man, if I do another set, I can't quite do it. But maybe you drop down to 10 pounds and try to knock out another set that way. So that's what we call drop setting. Um, That could be helpful. You could change the exercise to also hit the same muscles. So there's lots of different things you can do um, if you can't continue to add weight. Now, if you're talking about adding a healthy weight where you're struggling to gain a healthy weight, um, Again, that would be a discussion of what exactly is going on. And there are some things you can do. I I never actually had to deal with patients that had struggled to, I should take that back, a few, but nothing like I have now when I have uh, plant-based patients. There's so many that are like, man, I can't afford to lose any more weight. What can I do? And so that is a continual conversation. Yeah, that's great. So um, yeah, she's talking about weight training specifically. Yeah. So that's what I would do would be drop sets or changing the exercise um, to that. You're still hitting that same muscle, but it's going to be challenging in a different way. Great. Okay. So let's get to some of the questions that were submitted in advance. This one is, does Dr. Marbus recommend a minimum amount of protein per day in terms of helping with overall bone health, say for women over 40 and do yoga poses provide enough resistance for strength training purposes? Um, I think I think it really will depend. When you look at the yoga research, I'm not sure that there's actually been shown any ex- exemplary benefit, but it certainly helps with mobility, balance, and other things that will help prevent falls, which are really the real reason we fracture things. So if you do have osteoporosis and you're doing some of more advanced yoga poses, I would actually be a little bit careful. You don't want to, you don't want to fall or injure yourself in that way. But if you're um, a regular, you know, yoga uh, practitioner and you love it and enjoy it and decrease the stress of it, I'm all for it. I'm just not sure that it would give you enough of the challenge. I'm, I'm not a yoga expert by any means. I'm actually going to be starting though. I got a, a three month pass for my husband for my birthday. So I will be joining our local yoga studio. Um, so I think yoga can have its benefits, but probably not to the point that you're looking for that dynamic, like push and pull of the eccentrics with weight, moving things. You know, I would say more push ups, squats, those type of things would be more helpful. Um, of course, yoga does definitely has its benefits. Um, but outside of the osteoporosis or looking in the osteoporosis directly, I'd be a little less likely to say for sure. And what was the other question? I'm sorry. Um, protein. Protein for women over 40, yeah. recommend a certain amount. Yeah. So um, it's interesting. So I think when you throw in the chronometer, we really want to aim. I have decided that when I look at patients and we're trying to build muscle, especially women who are trying to lose weight, maintain muscle, we're minimally going to try to aim around one gram per kilo. Um, and that's again, based on a few different factors. And we should be, you know, you can certainly reach that with eating a whole food plant-based diet and really focusing in on certain foods like beans and whole grains. And again, throwing out the soy, love the soy. <laughs> yeah. Do, does, do you recommend more as people age? 
Um, you could, you could definitely need some more. Again, I think this gets to an individual discussion, but on occasion, I might recommend 1.2 to 1.4 grams per kilo. Uh, I typically try to do on the upper end of stuff because I am doing active resistance training and trying to maintain or build more muscle. I'm trying to do more pull-ups and doing different types of fancy squats and things. And so um, that's how I keep my brain young and challenge myself. Because when I see that a 25-year-old male is struggling with it, I'm like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, you know, with the, with yoga, I mean, yoga is, it's like, you know, protein, you know, it's like, yeah. well, there's so many different kinds from yoga nidra to restorative. That's why I think it matters which type, because right. yoga I take, we never even get up off the ground. So I'm like, well, that's not going to help with, <laughs> you know, exactly. But if you're building strength, like you're doing like back bends and stuff like that. Yeah, that would be fantastic. That absolutely can be helpful. So yeah. Again, I think it's I it's, it's never actually a bad idea to ask for a physical therapy referral just for a one-time visit to speak to a physical therapist who specializes in osteoporosis or osteopenia and say, hey, these are my limitations, restrictions, history of injuries. Can you help me kind of come up with uh, a program and you know speak to them about your know, different yoga poses that you might be doing on a regular basis, what type of resistance training you can do at home or in a gym. And you know, having that expert guidance based with your history, which is so important, that personalized approach, I think is really beneficial. Yeah, great. Thank you. Dorothy, who's watching live says, I'm 35 and was diagnosed with osteoporosis this week. Oh, My wow. doctor is recommending meeting with an endocrinologist. I don't want to take meds for this. How do I navigate this? Maybe take the osteoporosis workshop on November 30th. Yes, absolutely. Start with the osteoporosis workshop. But this is a really big concern for me because you're 35, which is very worrisome. Did you have early onset, you know, uh, menopause? Did you stop having estrogen early? Was there surgical uh, menopause done? So we've lost that estrogen capacity. Did she not build in, up into her bone mineral density bank account, you know, when she was younger? What was the cause? That is my greater concern because we have to halt the root cause first, and then we'll know how to proceed on how to fix it. And so that would be my first step. But there are so many things lifestyle intervention wise that you can help to help maybe negate some of the continued uh, progression of whatever caused it, but something is causing it and driving it in such a young woman. That is my greater concern because that whatever that is, is going to continue. So that needs to be figured out really, really quickly. Thank you. Yeah. And here is a question that was sent in by Tammy, yesterday on Facebook Live, you mentioned smoking and calcium absorption. Is it the smoking or the nicotine? I know people that vape or use nicotine pouches. And they say since they're not smoking, it isn't a problem. Interesting question. Uh, that is interesting. I would have to go dig, because when I look at the research, it just speaks to smoking, but it doesn't necessarily speak to the mechanism. I'm going to have to guess it's, if I had to make an educated guess, it's the inflammatory components of the smoking um, and that, you know, the the ripple down effects of what's happening on a molecular level. Um, so, you know, is it decreasing the osteoblast uh, activity we're building bone or is it keeping, you know, activating the osteoclast? Is it the nicotine or is it the inflammation? I don't know. Um, all I do know is vaping is not healthy either because there's still lung disease that's associated with vaping. So regardless if it's affecting their bone health, it's affecting their lung health. 
you know, we don't talk, even though I get pulmonary doctors on the show, like Dr. Roger Schwelf from Wet Cram, who has like over a million, you know, subscribers on YouTube. We don't talk a lot about smoking because I guess a, a lot of people just assume, well, you're vegan, you don't smoke, but even vegans struggle with addiction oh, and do smoke. Sure. But one, one of the things, what are the ramifications of vaping and nicotine patches? Because nothing, everything has a, some kind of an effect. Everything, you do a cost benefit analysis. And I always think about Dr. Goldhammer who says, just because something is less bad doesn't mean it's good. So is vaping really better than smoking or nicotine patches better than smoking? Do there, are there consequences to the using those as well? Yeah, sure. Of course. So when you think about vaping, at least from what I've been able to understand is number one, it's taken off and it's highly, highly addictive because people are getting a much higher nicotine hit than they would with smoking. Not saying that smoking is better than vaping or vice versa, but the problem is we're also seeing younger generations who are just addicted to these things. Like we're seeing kids getting access to this and it's going to mess up a lot of different things. Now, as far as the nicotine biochemistry and what's going on in the body, um, the only find with the nicotine patches that I've been found that that's beneficial is someone who's trying to uh, stop smoking. So we'll utilize that along with other medications or some type of um, mindfulness approach, like a program like Dr. Jeb Brewer, um, craving to quit when he speaks to the smoking, they're doing something and have a time limit based on, you know, the actual stopping of smoking. So that's the only time I've actually seen benefit with the nicotine patches. Nicotine in and of itself can be a real issue. Um, but again, I'd have to do a little bit more research on looking at the exact mechanism of what's going on in the body when you consume high, high amounts of nicotine over a long, long period of time, but it is highly addictive. It is one of the most difficult things to quit. So now we've got vaping. It also causes what we um, discussed as popcorn lungs. So um, yeah, so it, there, there's nothing healthy about vaping. Um, you're getting higher doses of nicotine. It's harder to quit. Um, it may, can make people very anxious. And uh, again, it's also not good for the lungs. So um, yeah, is it less uh, of an issue for secondhand smoke exposure? Okay. Um, but the people who are doing this now, we got our younger generation. We're already dealing with more chronic disease in the United States, more obesity. And now we're allowing, you know, ready access to things like the nicotine and higher doses. But it, it, it's a big issue. Definitely. Great. Thank you. Margie, who's watching live says, I am 71 and I'm taking hormone therapy after breast cancer. How much vitamin D and calcium should I take? BDT showed osteoporosis beginning. Okay. Um, so that would be a question of uh, measuring, first of all, your vitamin D. So you want to measure your vitamin D. And then if your labs show that you're low, less than 30, um, what I would do is get your vitamin D supplementation recommendations from your healthcare provider. They also would want to make sure that that vitamin D level is uh, appropriate. And then determining uh, your calcium intake via your diet. So I would make sure that you would look at your diet and making sure that you're trying to get that thousand to 1200 milligrams per day of calcium. And if you can't reach that, um, you can speak to your doctor about which type of calcium supplementation might benefit you. Um, but I would be hesitant to do it if, especially if you're just early in uh, to more of like an osteopenia, I would try to get that calcium through your diet by all means. Great. Thank you. And this is from Nancy. What should I, why should I take any drugs for my osteoporosis? I'm a 65 year old 
female. I was recently diagnosed with osteoporosis by a DEXA scan. My lumbar spine T-score is negative 3.4. My blood work is good, especially vitamin D, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, and PTH intact. I've been plant-based for nine years. I strength train five days a week, and I'm very active outdoors, working on getting more balanced training. Yeah, perfect. So I think, again, this just comes back down to the um, discussion on your risk factors and what you're doing. So if I have someone who's in this position and you're already doing all the lifestyle enriches, I'd also make sure your vitamin D and calcium supplementation are where they need to be. And then it's just a discussion, right? What are your risk factors? Have you had a previous fracture? Um, look at the risk and benefits. If you don't want to take medications, by all means, you certainly don't have to, because there are certainly risk and side effects associated with all the different medications. Um, and some have shown increased risk of like femur fractures, uh, some increased risk of um, osteosarcoma. Um, so again, there are, these are not benign medications. And I certainly understand someone who does not want to be treated, especially if you've not had a fragility fracture, meaning a fracture of like the hip or the rib or uh, the spine and wrist in the past. Um, you might just want to do a watch and wait. Um, just because you have osteoporosis doesn't mean you're going to have a fracture. But the higher that T-score, meaning the negative, or I guess you can, the more you go out, the, more, the higher that negative number. It's the best word to use that. Anyway, like a negative three is worse than a negative two. <laughs> Going in that direction. Um, that is a greater of concern, right? So this would be where I would say you want to do as much as possible, you know, increase your soy consumption two to three servings daily. That could be soy milk, tempeh, tofu, edamame. I actually have canned black soybeans. Eden's a great brand. I got it off Amazon. Try to get, you know, half a cup uh, daily. There's actually some really interesting evidence that that can actually be as beneficial as some therapies. So I would start there. And then I would also look to see if there's anything that we're missing that's actually causing an acceleration or increased risk of osteoporosis. You know, if you said your blood work looks great, make sure they're actually doing, looking at risk factors for um, uh, osteoporosis, like the vitamin D levels and that you're like, for example, your parathyroid hormone, which is uh, responsible for your calcium balance, making sure that it's not overactive. If you're on thyroid medication, making sure it's not overdosed. So Again, you want to look at all the different factors. And the reason I try to push at the higher end of calcium uh, in the diet is because of absorption. And, you know, the more you kind of get in through your diet, the more you're likely to absorb through the day. So again, I think that's just kind of, it's kind of more of an insurance policy. So that's, that would be my first recommendations without speaking to you as an ind individual. Thank you. And the next question is from Paula. Calcium supplementation, what amount do you recommend? And do you recommend taking magnesium with calcium? If so, what ratio of calcium to magnesium? And should the dose be taken at one time or spaced over the day? Yeah, so I don't recommend any calcium supplementation. <laughs> Unless you're in a very, so the amount is uh, zero. <laughs> yeah, the amount is zero. Um, unless you're in a very special case, again, that, that it's it's a very rare individual that I would ever recommend some type of calcium supplementation <clears throat> because the calcium, when you're taking it in, actually causes hypercoagulability state of your blood, which increases risk of clots and heart attack and stroke. So in hardening of the arteries, again, so no calcium. Magnesium, just make sure you're trying to get as much magnesium rich foods as possible. So um, 
yeah, I, I would again, try to avoid the supplementation at all costs and just download the chronometer, put in your food and make sure you're hitting those really important markers. And then you'll be able to make some assessments, you know, look up, let's say magnesium rich foods and see what you can do to increase your magnesium if you like. But magnesium is an important piece of um, bone health as well. There's lots of interesting pieces to it. Isn't magnesium, isn't magnesium also used as a laxative? I've heard. Is that different true? types. Yeah. So different types of magnesium can cause a, a very strong laxative uh, thing, but there's other ones like, um, different types of magnesium, the, uh, I think it's the glycinate. Um, it can be used for like, for someone who has like, uh, PACs or, um, lots of extra like beats of the heart, um, is the best way to describe it. That can help that. Sometimes it can help with sleep as well. Um, magnesium threonate there's, so there's a variety of different types of magnesium. Some have less laxative effect than others. So again, it, it gets to what are your symptoms? What are we missing in our diet? Are you struggling with absorption? yada, yada, yada. Um, everyone is so different. It's hard to make a blanket recommendation outside of like, move your body, eat some plants, sleep well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always think of milk of magnesium. I heard magnesium also, maybe it's magnesium can be used for anxiety. Oh, that's interesting. Um, magnesium. Well, I mean, it makes sense that if you have a low magnesium, you might benefit some with some mental uh, health components. If you have better, if you're getting better sleep, your anxiety would improve as well. So magnesium can be helpful for there. So again, so many things can happen with one individual. You got to do a very holistic approach when taking care of yeah. someone. And you can do that if people book a private consultation. Yes, I would love to see people. <laughs> I am licensed in all 50 states, so I can see anyone. Incredible. In I mean, is anybody else licensed in all 50 states? That's amazing. There are others. There's just not many of us. I'm sure there are many more than since the pandemic, but um, a license in all 50 states and D.C., I'm what not about, licensed in Puerto Rico. I was going to say Puerto Rico, U.S. Virgin Islands. Or Guam. Yeah, no, um, I could see you and give you some coaching discussion, but I can't order labs or medications. Um, but I've never had any requests uh, from Puerto Rico or Guam. So if I started seeing more of those folks, I certainly would do the work to become. You have to like take the doctor test like in every every state? No. So the way it works is when when you are becoming a physician, um, but if you need a good plant-based doctor, I know one in Boston, by the way, her name's Dr. Emily Marbus. <laughs> She'll be seeing oh, so your, daughter's, your daughter's already a doctor now. Yeah. She's in her last year of residency and she just uh, got a job up in Cambridge. So she'll be working there full-time as a private doctor. Amazing doctor, by the way, um, way smarter than I ever dreamt of being. So there's that, but, um, she's, uh, if you look about, so when you go through medical school, right, you have to take these three, what they call steps. And once you get those steps done, you're, you can actually then go in to finish your board certification, then you get board certified. And then each state has a license requirement. Now, some of these states do have an extra test, but they're usually based around ethics. So I think there's like three or four that I remember, Texas, uh, Maine, Maryland, there might, there's a few different ones that they require you to take this ethic test. And when you just take it the one time, the requirement, however, that's different across the United States is the amount of what we call continuing medical education. Some require none, believe it or not. And then some require a significant amount, like 150 hours every you know three years or so. So at least 50 hours a year of continued medical education, which isn't important, but so many of them, you want to know what they're about is about uh, prescribing narcotic drugs. That's the big one. Mental health, which is obviously very important. Suicide prevention, 
um, elder care, those tend to be the main ones. Nobody requires about lifestyle. Nobody requires about nutrition. Nobody requires about any of these other things that are so important to pre true prevention. But anyway, so you have the CME and then you have to pay a licensing fee. It's a gamut. It's, it's, it's right up, straight up. It's ridiculous. I, I literally have patients before I was licensed over these states would travel from like Washington down to Oregon because I had Oregon first or they go to Washington. I can't remember sure when it was first just so I could see them legally because I don't want to get in trouble for practicing without a medical license because someone was one mile away from the board. <laughs> but anyway, so you're paying this fee either annually, every other year, or every third year, depending on uh, the license. Each license is anywhere from $50 to $1,095. There's only one that I have that's over a thousand and that's Rhode Island, the tiniest state. And it's the most expensive. Can you believe that? <laughs> so anyway, that's crazy. Why? Yeah. It's the tiniest state. Yeah. Um, I have all sorts of fun stories. Kansas is a unique place as well. My malpractice covers all 49 states in DC, except for Kansas. They have special rules. You have to get their special insurance. So finished dealing with that. That's why it's at top of mind. But yeah, I don't think people quite understand the struggle. <laughs> so the doctors can see you. They're like, why can't I see her? Why don't you accept insurance? There's all of that is I could write an entire book about. Um, so if a physician is licensed in your state and you like them, that's you're, you're very lucky. So that's great. So, um, you know, we really need to look at ways to decrease the administrative burden of just seeing patients and providing good care. It's insane. Yeah. Well, I've been, you know, I've been doing, I guess you call it telemedicine. I've been doing telemedicine before this, the, before it was cool. And even before it, the pandemic, because when I went to true North as a patient in 2011, I was like in love with Dr. Peter Sultana. And I knew I, you know, it was not realistic to keep, you know, so I just book appointment every month with him just to have mm -hmm. somebody on my team. Right. That, going on i still use the doctors here but you know they're not vegan so they're not yeah they're not as awesome yeah i appreciate that no it's pretty interesting um i would say when i was at texas tech uh, where i went to medical school we started using telemedicine with rural medicine and then when i was active duty air force when i was overseas in the middle east i actually utilized telemedicine to because i had sick patients and i need to see a specialist back home or in germany that's how I access specialists because there weren't too many of us um, where I was. <laughs> anyway, that was fun times. Yeah. So Mark, who's watching live, would like to know, is the Adam Calcium in store-bought almond milk harmful? Is the what? Added calcium? Adium, added calcium in ah. store-bought almond milk. No, I, from what I understand, it, it appears that any calcium fortified food seems to be safe. Like you're not going to have the same effects. And I had a, a, another question about that actually on YouTube yesterday. And from, if you, if I just kind of think it, you know, do a little bit of a thought experiment, my thought would be is that you're consuming it with food, you're consuming it in, oh, um, not as a high amount and it's not supplement by itself. So if it's in the calcified or excuse me, a fortified food, I think that should be fine. Great. Thank you. And Connie is watching live says, is soy milk as beneficial as eating the soybeans? Yeah. So interesting. Um, so I read some of these, like I said, I've been doing these little deep dive rabbit holes. Um, it looks like the soy milk actually is very beneficial. And now is it compared to the whole bean? I don't think they've done a head to head, but the, the whole bean has dramatic effects on many menopausal symptoms. So I'm going to assume that it 
you know, there's probably other things that are still in the whole bean that the soy milk doesn't have. But if soy milk needs to be one of your servings and you're going to still get some benefit, but I would still say the whole bean is probably the best bet. So I would try to do at least half a cup of the whole soybean if you can, or edamame or something like that uh, on a daily basis. Thanks. Um, Marley says for osteopenia, what specialist do you recommend? Or could we make an appointment for you to have the labs run? Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to speak to you and, and see you as a patient. Absolutely. Um, and if you can't see me or you need to want to utilize insurance, which I can totally appreciate, I would just speak to your primary care doctor as a first avenue. And then um again, look at your risk score. So if you want to look at your total risk and put in your numbers, if you go to F-R-A-X, FRAX, it's a FRAX calculator. You put in your age, your date of birth. Um, I think you can, I can't remember if they break it down by race, uh, but they put in your weight. Uh, they ask you multiple risk factors, like have you been on uh, glucosteroids? Um, glucosteroids, have you, are you smoking? Do you drink this much? What is your uh, weight and you have a previous fracture and then they give you this risk and you know based on the numbers you know it might either increase or decrease the urgency of actual intervention with medications if your doctor recommends it so um, that would be another thing to start but I'm happy to help people but again I would start with just your primary care doctor and then um, they may refer you to maybe an endocrinologist um depending on what they're concerned about your age and what they think might've actually caused the osteopenia. But if it's just lifestyle and you have osteopenia, it's time to start getting out those weights, move some heavy things. Huh. Yeah, good idea. Um, Diana says, is there a test to take to see if I have arthritis? I have pain on the top of my foot and all over my body. I feel like I have fibromyalgia. Hmm. Um, well, yeah, so you can actually do imaging, right? And that could tell you if there's any type of destruction of the actual joints. But if you're having diffuse discomfort and pain, you know, sounds more like inflammatory components, you might want to do some blood tests like a CRP or a SED rate or have some type of autoimmune components. But I'd also look at diet wise, what are you, are you consuming any in inflammatory foods? Um, if you're already a whole food plant-based eater and you're seeing numbers that are elevated, um, I would also look to see like, do you have any dental inflammation that could cause, you know, body re responses here? How are you sleeping? Um, but yes, you can do imaging to determine if you have osteoporosis or other types of things, but I would also check uric acid level. Um, you could do a rheumatoid factor or some other rheumatoid uh, arthritis type of tests. Um, but yeah, uric acid is an interesting, interesting beast in and of itself. So. Thanks. And here's a question that was sent in. By Michelle. Oh, wait, nope. Sorry, that's not for you. That's for a doctor tomorrow. Um, maybe talk a little bit about the um, workshop and I, it, we put yeah. the link for people to register. How yeah. long is it? How long yeah. is the replay available? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, first of all, it's part of the Healing Kitchen. So, the Healing Kitchen is a partnership between myself and Brittany Giroudi, who, if you guys do not know Brittany, she's absolutely lovely. 
almost as lovely as Chef AJ. <laughs> yeah, no, she's lovely. Uh, lovely. And um, so when you think about uh, someone who has an extraordinary story, she lost 70 pounds on a whole food plant-based diet when she was young. She reversed her hypertension, her high cholesterol. She's only 4'11". So 70 pounds is significant on a little body. And she just found out she's pregnant. She's due uh, on May 27th was the date of her mom's birthday who had who recently Whoa. passed. Yeah. And her mom died of breast cancer um, more. I can't remember if it was this year or last year. So that's really special. Um, and so anyway, we've joined forces. We every single week we do um, a live cooking demonstration. She prov we provide recipes and I answer um, all and any medical questions. And then we do an expert workshop with a special person like Dr. Clapper. We've had Dr. Khan. We have Kim Campbell joining us. We have Brenda Davis joining us and some other amazing uh, doctors as well. <clears throat> and then I do an in-depth workshop. So like next month will be weight loss. The following month will be menopause. I've tried to respond to where I'm getting a lot of questions. This one will be next Thursday, November 30th at 4 p.m. Pacific, all virtual. Um, you will have... 100% always have access to the replay um, if you're a member of the Healing Kitchen or if you buy an independent workshop and the ebook was yours to download um, and do with as you please. Um, and yeah, so the if you belong to the Healing Kitchen, you also have access to all the other past workshops and any future workshops. I will do a workshop every single month. And um, it's actually a lot of fun because honestly, being a doctor, you know, you're going and you're studying, you're, you you really, you know, try to get all the information crammed in. I will tell you, being on the lifestyle medicine piece and working with plant-based patients, there are some amazingly smart and very um, curious individuals that are forced me to be a better human and a better doctor. So I thank you for that because honestly, <laughs> I never would have dreamt uh, that I would go down some of the rabbit holes that I had, but it was only because my curiosity was provoked by patients and I'm just trying to do right by them. So yeah. So next Thursday, November 30th, drmarbus.com and just click on workshop and you can join the Healy kitchen. It's cheaper. Um, or you can just join, just do the workshop, which is fine too. Thank you. Dana would like to know what you think of osteo strong to make your bones stronger. You know, this is really interesting. I get this question a lot. I have not, um, dove deep into the, the science. I think the studies that they do show they were, you know, it can be biased because they actually <laughs> promoted them. From my understanding that the way the exercises are, it's a, it's a limited number of exercises one time a week um, and that it increases the exposure to the resistance than you would maybe on a regular resistance training platform. I can see where it might have benefit, but I, I can't guarantee a hundred percent that it, it is what they claim. I just haven't done a deeper dive into it. And I definitely probably should for the workshop because I've, I've had that question uh, several times. Okay, great. I'm guessing it's a supplement that people buy. It's no, it's a, it's an exercise oh, like place oh. you like go and they do like these different types of oh, exercises. It, just, it sounds like it. I, I, I think it's also a supplement because it sounds oh, so I know. I don't know. I know algae cows and a supplement, but, uh, which I don't recommend I did yeah. in the past, but, but and then I dove deeper into it. I would not do that at all. That's um, but the, um, yeah, osteostrong is some type of like, you can go to a place and actually they do this. Maybe I'll just go and pretend that I have issues. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, just maybe, so you know, cause maybe I'll be an undercover, uh, 
I, I, go, I googled it and you're right it is a place but it is also a name of a supplement that's okay. what, that's what I thought so she's maybe referring to the the location oh yeah I'm the from what I I'm most of my questions are people are like is it worth the money and time and expense to go to do this why don't I'm you like, go and then let us know Dana all right maybe I will uh go and uh well maybe I will maybe I'll just go and yeah, you go you be go. an undercover uh Maybe that'll be my next job. That sounds undercover. really interesting. I mean, I didn't know there was a place <laughs> you could go specifically for that. I'll see if there's one near me. It sounds kind of interesting. Yeah, no. It, I mean, if anything, it's a learning opportunity. So yep. we might find something uh, worth it. Nice. My mom has osteoporosis along with three kinds of arthritis, osteoporotoid and PVNS, pigmented villonodular synovitis, and has been suffering since she was 12. I've been trying to convince Aww. her that a plant-based diet could help her, though she's now in her 80s, has multiple replacements, remain unconvinced, and thinks she's too old to change. What's the most compelling piece of evidence that may convince her that this could help her, even with all the damage done to her body? You know, it, it gets to a point that how do I put this? Um, it's, it's sometimes it's really hard to help to see people that we love suffer, especially when it's at their own choice. Um, not that I'm saying that her disease process was her choices, but you know, certain foods obviously can increase inflammation and it doesn't promote healing. So at the end of the day, some people will not change regardless of what you ask and beg and plead and provide evidence. Um, the only thing I could suggest that might be proven that way is find ways to substitute things that she loves in her diet with at least moving in the direction of more plant-friendly substitutes. Um, because at this age, and if she's got a fixed mindset, she's not in a growth mindset state. It doesn't matter what I tell you or what, because I'm sure you've given her all the evidence that we could possibly uh, find. Um, but honestly, I would just start tantalizing her palate and try to bring in healthy more delicious things, maybe, um, you know, almonds and, uh, prunes have actually been shown to be very helpful. So, you know, I dried plums, um, you know, some way that you can incorporate healthier plant-based foods that are rich in all these things that will promote health and decrease inflammation, um, might be beneficial it, again, I'm so sorry. That's that's a real hard struggle, but you're, there's not going to be any convincing. There's nothing else I could tell you that you probably already haven't shared with her. Well, the thing is, is I don't think you can ever convince anyone to do anything. You know, there's an old saying, a man could be a woman. A person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. But I will <laughs> you, I had clients change in their 90s and outlive right. two of their three children. So if the wow. person wants to, it's never too late. But like you say, sometimes there's a certain amount of damage to the body and you can't just expect going vegan overnight is going to fix it, you know? Right, right. But it will decrease at least the progression and maybe decrease yeah. some of the pain burden. Um, but again, at the end of the day, maybe just speak to her about pain, you know, like, well, let's just talk about, can we maybe try this? Maybe, you know, say, can we do it for a week? Can we just try these anti-inflammatory foods? So instead of speaking in vegan or plant-based, say, you know, speak to what the benefit would be to her that she could latch on to that. And like, you're, you're right. My oldest patient was 89 that transitioned to a plant-based diet and because of lung cancer, she beat the cancer. So, you know, not that she also embraced traditional therapy, um, but there's some remarkable uh, things that can happen as you get older too. But again, maybe just embrace the benefit 
that would be important to her. You just have to speak her language. You got to think about what what commercial would come on TV and she would pick up the phone and spend her money. That's the kind of commercial you're going to need to be. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Robin says, I got a bone density test last year at the age of 60. I've been whole food plant-based for almost 11 years now, and I'm normal weight. They told me I have osteoporosis in my lower back. The T-score is minus 4.4. I got my body fat percentage down from 24 to 14.6 with weight training. Is there anything more I can do to bring my T-score down down to normal? I cannot do jump squats due to a uterine prolapse. I have a weighted vest, which I use sometimes that will help. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. I think with her score being so high, I would recommend that she actually ask for a referral to a physical therapist or an exercise physiologist that can help with her specific issues because we don't want to cause any kind of um, damage to the spine with like an even heavier weighted vest. Now, if you go and they say, yeah, you can do that. You know, I'd increase the up the weighted vest and go for longer walks um, to increase that dynamic force, uh, especially if you can't do jumps because of uterine prolapse, meaning that the uterus literally plays peekaboo with <laughs> can come out literally. Um, so the other thing you can do is some type of um, maybe some type of machines like leg extensions or, you know, this, the squat machine, um, leg press, that's the word I was looking for different things that you could do where you're not necessarily doing some type of jumping, but actually, you know, still, uh, causing some stress to those bones. But again, I think it would be important with that number because it is such a, a severe, uh, T-score that I would look to asking for a specialist to provide an exercise regimen for you. And then again, it comes back to doing all the things I mentioned before, making sure your vitamin D levels where it needs to be, making sure you're getting the appropriate amount of calcium, increasing your soy products um, on a regular day-to-day basis, and then doing that resistance training um, according to, you know, whatever they prescribe for you. Um, And at the end of the day, um, also making sure you're not on any medications or other things that can be causing or accelerating uh, that as well. So, but it wasn't the diet that caused it. And that's the other thing you need to, I really want to point out a plant-based diet does not cause osteoporosis or osteopenia. Um, many times folks who transition to a plant-based diet are in their midlife already have it. They already have osteopenia. They already have osteoporosis. Um, so, but it, it certainly is not the cause. And if anything, it will decrease the risk in the sense of improving excuse me, our health and um, also decreasing inflammation. But we do need to be mindful of vitamin D, your calcium, making sure you're getting all the amounts of healthy calories that you're still getting. So making sure that you're eating enough protein. Some, as I've had uh, some cases, uh, not a lot, but certainly a few where I had very small women who have very small appetites and they focus in on fruits and veggies, which is fine, but they're not eating enough beans and whole grains to maintain even enough protein, um, where even to the, you know, the RDA. So, um, again, I think chronometer is a very valuable tool that we should all be doing and assessing at least on a quarterly basis. 
Great. Thank you. And there, I've been putting the link to the workshop because people are saying, is it through your healing kitchen or separate? It can be either from what either I Either or. Yeah. You could either be join the member. It's a recurring subscription, or you could do, just do the one-off workshop if you don't want to be bothered with the membership. But right. it's, you know, it's you know I saw it, guys, it really helps me when you put four question marks before. Um, so I can differentiate comments from questions. I know I saw one about a weighted vest. I don't remember what it is, but maybe you can speak to it. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, so I use, um, I don't have mine down here. I'd show you uh, the, let me, let me look it up here. There's one on Amazon. I actually, and it comes with um, a variety of weights. You could do either, uh, I think four to 11 pounds, 11 to 20. And then it goes from 20 to like 32 and even above. And um, it's actually pretty comfortable um, doesn't squish, you know, for females, the, the breasts and different things. But let me tell you the name of it and I can share with you. It's called Aduro, A-D-U-R-O Sport Adjustable Weighted Vest. <clears throat> and um, they have all sorts uh, of different weights. And then like for the one I use is 11 pounds. And I will tell you, I walk probably four to seven miles a day with our dog, who's Daisy, who's got more energy than, uh, I, most toddlers. Um, but I will, I, you know, walking for her is no big deal, but I put on that weighted vest. I would actually sore. So it works. Good. It's definitely moving your muscles, but what you do is the vest in and of itself is weighted. And then you can add, there's like six little pockets. You can add, it comes with the like little sandbags that go in each of those pockets. So you can adjust the weight accordingly as you get stronger and want to challenge yourself. And the other thing is you can do this weighted vest. You could do squats. You could walk around your house and clean house if you don't want to be seen in public wearing one. Um, but you could do all sorts of just regular type of exercises too. You could do um, like, if you didn't want to get on the ground and do push-ups, you could do push-ups maybe on your stairs or on the counter with the weighted vest. That would increase your strength as well. Um, you could hang from a bar and, you know, you don't have to do a pull-up, but just hanging in general is also a good isometric exercise. But if you do the weight, that increases your grip strength, which is associated with longevity. So lots of good things there that can happen. So, yeah, I love the weighted vest. Oh, great. Thank you. So there's a question again about black soybeans. Where did it go? Somebody heard. Oh, here's the question. Wait, before I get to the soybean one, can you speak to weighted vests as opposed to ankle weights? Mm. So if you think about it, remember, we're trying to cause stress on a bone at the site of the weight. So if you think about a ankle weight, that's only going to affect where it is below, right? So it might affect your quads or the, the hamstrings. I'd have to look at the, you know, the physics of it all, but it's not going to help your bone necessarily in your back. So that's where the weighted vest is because it's going to cause you to be more erect and upright. And that weight is, you know, the, the body, the whole body, the hips and the spine are going to have to deal with that extra weight. Whereas you put it on the ankles, um, the hip and spine are less likely to be exposed to the weight unless I'm just starting to think of certain, maybe physics of it, but I'd have to sit and think about it for a minute, but, um, it'd be less, less, uh, helpful. Great. Thank you. And Barbara's saying, what, what weight do you start with on the weighted vest? Like, like I would start with two pounds if you're not used to it, two pounds or four pounds. I would not go above four pounds if you're just new to it, but it's probably two pounds. And like I said, this could just be a backpack too. And you could throw 
some of those canned soybeans that get a couple of pounds. Again, when I go hiking, for example, um, I, I'm a prepper at heart for all things worry. Worry is just one of my things. I know it's not healthy, but it's just the way my brain works. I will carry, no kidding, 25, 30 pound backpack. And I've done it for many, many years. And my young men in my family who are hiking with me, like, hey, mom or Lori, let me help you with that. And like my husband, they're like, holy moly, this is really, I was like, this is osteoporosis prevention right here. So you can do a backpack as well. You can, you know, just moving your body with that extra weight is so very important and very helpful. Great. Thanks. Okay. Where did this question go? It's from Holly. She says, black soybeans that you mentioned, I used to eat them daily, then heard they potentially cause cancer, unlike the regular soybean. Have you heard anything about this? I'd like to eat them again. No, no, mm -mm. I have not heard that. And I could do some research, but there's so many things that you hear on blog posts and yada, 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 the soy causes cancer. Um, absolutely not. Nothing that I've ever seen. Right. I, I eat black soybeans on a regular basis. So, well, well, speaking of cancer, this isn't on the topic of osteoporosis, but Anishi wants to know what is the best diet for stage four breast cancer? Probably the stage best diet for stage one, two, three, and no cancer. I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah, 100%, a whole food plant based diet. And again, rich in those soy products because soy has some amazing research showing that. One, it can decrease risk of breast cancer, decrease risk of uh, recurrence of breast cancer, and increases survivability with breast cancer. There's um, Dr. Christy Funk has a book called The Breast Manual. It's a great book. I would recommend to have that to be reading whoever is uh, the one dealing with that. Great. Thank you. And Holly says, is it okay to use a weighted vest if you have mild scoliosis? Um, I think that's where the, again, it gets to this individualized prescription that I would speak to one, either your orthopedic spine surgeon who's taking care of you or a physical therapist, and there might need to be some adjustments that um, would benefit you, uh, but I wouldn't go straight to a weighted vest without some clarification of your risk and benefits. Perfect. Jane says, have you tried rucking? It uses yes. a special backpack. Maybe you could say what that is. I, I almost didn't read it right because I'm not wearing my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yes, rucking and mm, or do rhyme. Uh, but uh, so rucking is carrying of the heavy backpack. There's actually, I think it's called goruck.com is a, it's a website. It's by like, of course, some special forces guys that are, insane. <laughs> um, but the idea is just carrying, it's just using weighted vest or a backpack to move your body and gain that. So rucking, yeah, that's what I would describe what I do with my uh, weighted vest that I use as I go for walks, um, preferably uphill at a pretty decent pace um, to uh, improve. One, it's you're getting resistance training, but it also helps with osteoporosis and osteopenia treatment and prevention. Right. You know, I, that, that osteo strong thing looked so interesting. So I looked it up at the nearest one to me is an hour and that's just too far, you know? Uh, okay. Well, I'll, maybe I'll do some undercover work. Maybe it'll lead to my next job as investigative journalism. Oh my gosh. That's funny. Uh, Tia says in order to get a consult with you, do you have to subscribe to the monthly membership or can you do a singular visit? 
Yeah. So on the, the website, if you scroll down, there's single visits, there's half hour and one hour options as well. And I have plenty of people who do that as well. You do not have to do the subscription, not at all. It's just for people who maybe I'm working with, if, you know, chronic disease, like diabetes and different things. Um, I also have other options for those who maybe don't want to do individual. There's a glucose mastermind. I'm opening up a new one next month where we um, work with CGMs and we help people you know, reverse insulin resistance, type two diabetes, improve numbers, medications in a group setting. Um, and it's less of a medical care, but more of the coaching and understanding. And I prescribe CGMs to whoever would like them, but you don't have to have diabetes to join it. Um, pre-diabetes, insulin resistance, menopause, weight loss struggles. It's a really helpful tool. So there's another option too. Right. I mean, this, this went so fast. I didn't think there'd be such a huge interest in this topic. <laughs> Apparently there is. I get a lot of questions. That's why I'm doing that workshop because honestly, I get so many questions about this and menopause is ginormous. It makes sense. Most of my, most of my patients are female in the middle age bracket, which I happen to be right in the middle of. And um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, neglected do topics. Men, do men get osteoporosis? Cause I never, absolutely I don't okay. care about it as much, you know? No, you don't because it's less common, but absolutely. If I remember right, I think a third of uh, all cases of osteoporosis are actually men. Um, and then when you get men who have had osteoporosis earlier in life, that is even more worrisome because there's something definitely going on here that we need to investigate further. There's some I've had some really interesting uh, male cases of osteoporosis. Um, fascinating. Nice. So what are you doing tomorrow? Who's cooking? What are you eating? Yes. Yeah, so this is a really fascinating. So my youngest is coming home from Denver. So Jonathan, my middle one's already here and my daughter can't make it because she's working <laughs> medical care. Um, so we're going to travel to San Diego to be with my husband's family who are not plant-based guys. So I have been planning some things that I'll be taking to, um, hopefully at least encourage the conversation and discuss with them opportunities to eat a healthier whole food plant-based diet. But uh, I haven't, I'm definitely going to be taking in Kim Campbell's uh, uh, mousse. Have you tried her mousse uh, pie? Holy moly. It is so delicious. And Jonathan, if there's any leftovers, he'll eat the entire thing. He's like, mom, are you making that pie again? I get it once a year. I'm like, (laughs) yeah I'll make that pie again but um that's definitely one thing and then there's some Brittany recipes that I'm definitely going to be working on so today is a grocery store uh shopping cooking day but we're also doing the healing kitchen tonight too. tell me about it I got like 35 people coming I'm going to be cooking all day so we get off the air bless your heart (laughs) oh my gosh well thank you so much this is so the idea is what you might want to topic for next month? Yeah. You know, next month I think would be weight loss because I think, you know, people hit the new year. We've coming out of- You wait till January, to be (laughs) honest, because nobody's going to do it next month. I really do because, you know, people are interested, but do you really think once they hit Thanksgiving, you know, it's first with Halloween, I think it's a great topic, but I think people are more motivated for- uh, January. January, yeah, yeah, January. So I might flip it and do menopause. Um, I think some of the- the other things, I don't know. I will have to think about it. I'll, I'll let you know. Hmm. Mm. Oops. Saw one more question before I let yeah. you go. Joanne said, do you think it's important to have a DEXA scan? What's the point my doctor is insisting? Um. So this is how I look at certain things. If you want to do a test and one, if you're at high risk, 
um, I think it's advantageous because it will make it mindful, right? So you will be more likely to do the resistance training and do the things that you need to do to prevent pro progression or potentially even reverse it. So I'm a big fan of early detection in that sense. Um, it's the same reason you would do, for example, a mammogram or you would do a colonoscopy. It's the same idea. Um, one, if you make your uh, interventions earlier, it's easier to reverse, right? So it's like doing blood tests for diabetes. Oh, I'm a pre-diabetic. I can reverse that much faster than if I'm a type two diabetic and have chosen to ignore the risk. So um, again, this is an individual choice. I'm all about giving my patients as much information as I can. And it's information that we would act upon. Now I'm not into, let's just go do a test and not do anything about it just so that we know. And it's one more thing to worry about. That doesn't make any sense. But if you would do a DEXA and you regardless wouldn't change anything, then don't bother, right? There's no sense in exposing yourself to, it is minimal radiation. Um, but again, what's the point at that way? You just say, I'm just not going to do it. But if you're like myself, I had a DEXA scan. It's all good. I feel good. I had a coronary artery and calcium score. Again, I have risk factors in my family. It was zero. I choose to do these things so that I can be even more mindful and more proactive. But I'm a get it things done. Don't deal with it later. I don't like procrastination. That's just my personality. It depends on you and what you think you would benefit from. Mm -hmm. Okay. Atia says, what CGM do you recommend? Continuous glucose monitor? Yeah, I like, so again, it depends. Um, so with my glucose masterminds, I will prescribe the Freestyle Libre 3. Um, it's a cheaper alternative. Most uh, insurance companies will not pay for a CGM. And by the way, continuous glucose monitor, it's a little device that fits on the back of your upper arm to measure your blood sugar on a 24 seven hour basis, just for those who don't know. Um, and you can even get those between, I don't know, 35 to $120 uh, for a month based, uh, depending on where you go, Costco, CVS are probably the cheaper options. For my patients who are insulin dependent, uh, especially like my type one, I will recommend a Dexcom, um, either a Dexcom uh, six or seven. And those are a little bit more reliable. Although the Freestyle Libre 3, from my understanding, appears to be just as accurate as the Dexcom. And so, you, you know, I, I feel I need as, act, as much accuracy as possible if my patients are making insulin decisions based on that data on a regular basis. So I try to give them the most um, reliable uh, information. So, but for my glucose mastermind folks, there's there's no need to get anything more fancy than like a Freestyle Libre 3. Freestyle Libre sounds like a dive or a swimming, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Diana exactly. says, I have all over body pain. The test shows no RA. I feel like fibromyalgia hurts more when I've been sitting too longer in the morning. Will losing, well, losing weight lower inflammation? Yes, yes. That's a fantastic question. So um, it kind of gets back to, uh, I had a question about someone uh, about white blood cells and inflammation because so many of my really amazing whole food plant-based eaters that are compliance and doing phenomenally well, they exercise, good sleep. They're like, you know, the poster child for doing everything right. They have white blood cells that are low, like sometimes below four. So 2.5 to four, because there's so much, uh, oh, there's less, so such less inflammation that you'll see this happen. And it's a normal score for them. Now, on the other side of things, if I ask someone who's overweight or obese, not uncommon to see elevated white blood cell counts outside of normal because of all the inflammation. 
And the one thing that helps is one, of course, eating a whole food plant-based diet and weight loss. And you'll see that number track down and their numbers improve, but also their um, subjective discomfort, like, like you're describing this all over body pain. And one of the main things that we uh, tell people with fibromyalgia is to move because exercise absolutely helps. So there may be several other mechanisms at play here because fibromyalgia is really difficult to objectively diagnose. There's no like a particular test or anything that I can do, but I do know lifestyle interventions help significantly and weight loss absolutely will help. Great. And we'll cover that in January when people are more motivated. (laughs) That sounds good. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dr. Marvis. You have a happy holiday to you and your families. You too. And happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Safe travels, please. And we'll take care. We'll see you next month. Thank you. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. We have two shows tomorrow because Chef AJ never takes a day off and she's not going to until next year going live every day since March 20th, 2020. And at 9 a.m. Pacific time, we have a fabulous plant-based ophthalmologist who I just met at the Plantrition Conference. We've only had one ophthalmologist on the show and we get so many questions about eye problems. So you'll definitely want to tune in for Dr. Ronnie Bonick. She's going to be making a recipe from her book and talking about your eye health. And then at 11 a.m. Linda Tyler is doing a fabulous show where she's going to show you how to repurpose, reuse all of your Thanksgiving recipes in healthy, delicious, and fun ways. And what she does with mashed potatoes, there's two recipes that's going to blow your mind, but you definitely want to see what she's going to do with the cranberry relish because she's making it into another tasty treat. Yeah, it's cranberry bar. So good. I know what that recipe is. So it's going to be yummy. Yep. Well, thanks everybody so much for watching. I wish you and yours a very happy holiday tomorrow if you can't tune in. And thank you so much for being a viewer of Chef AJ Live. We really appreciate your tuning in. Take care, everyone.